Welcome to Real Themes, the podcast where we discuss and dissect the thematic elements in movies, television, and other media. I'm Justin Zagri. And I'm Liana Manassian. Hi, Liana. Hi, Justin. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> Good. Don't make me blush in our first episode. <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, maybe a little context would help. <laughs> Liana's my wife. Hello, I am his wife. <laughs> he is my husband. Um, and we just kind of decided to do this podcast because we love movies, we love media, and we love to talk about, you know, like the deeper meaning behind this stuff. Um, we always find that there's, you know, something, some messages, some message that the uh, that the storytellers are trying to tell. Hence the themes. Yes, themes. But the scenes, scenes are what kind of gives you clues into the themes so yeah we'll be looking at both of those things yeah um how are you doing i'm good we had a good weekend yes we had ikea for breakfast we did the whole store and it was delicious yeah what's the theme of ikea um swedish minimalism swedish minimalism i like it and uh uh, i guess cheap but trendy Mm mm-hmm yeah do it yourself. Yep. So what movie are we talking about? 1917. 1917. The year. 1917. I think the title actually opened with like the date, which was like April something. I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's actually based off a story that Sam Mendes, the director, um, uh, heard from his grandfather. Yeah. Uh, I don't know all the details, but... I guess his grandfather was in World War One and yep. in the British Army. Yeah. Yeah. So if you could kind of compartmentalize the theme of this movie down to like a phrase, what what do you think it would be? Um I think it was about the fragility of life and I think also just um that the same rules don't apply during war as they do in life as well. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Why do you think the, the same rules don't apply in war as life? When it regards to well, this movie? I mean, I can go into it with scenes, but <laughs> yeah, we could. <laughs> Cause yeah. Um, by the way, we're heading into spoiler territory just so everyone knows. Well, yeah. If you're going to listen to these podcasts, be prepared to be spoiled or else probably it's a good idea if you, watch or read or whatever media that we're doing that week beforehand because we will definitely be spoiling things since it's themes and plots and stuff but please come back please come back and listen to our themes and scenes after you've seen after you've seen it of course things yeah (laughs) but don't leave us Uh, we're entertaining i promise (laughs) um all right so i thought that the theme of the movie was Actually, kind of similar to a theme that you saw in Lord of the Rings. Which is what? Uh, Even the smallest person can change the course of the future. Mm. Um, And I actually saw some parallels in this movie to Frodo and Sam uh, in Lord of the Rings to these two main characters. uh, uh, Corporal Blake, I'm sorry, Lance Corporal Schofield and um, Lance Corporal uh, Blake. Yeah. 
I could see that. Yeah. But, um, you know, like just this, the, the basic premise is that these two soldiers have to get to another line of the uh, territory in the war to stop an attack from happening. Because if the attack goes through, which the enemy, meaning the Germans, uh, are counting on, then thousands of British soldiers are going to die. So they have to stop the attack from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we could just take it from there and like figure out kind of where it was going. So, so are um, we starting with yours or mine? Um, yeah, let's go, let's go with yours. So if you could compartmentalize the whole movie into, uh, a phrase, uh, when in, in regards to the theming, what would that be? Well, I had two phrases. Um, one was just the fragility of life, but also that the same rules don't always apply during the war as they do in life. Okay. And so in terms of the scenes that I feel like support those two things, um, well, let, let me start with the same rules don't apply. Okay. That one, at least. Um, I think the main scene that like I really think of when I think of that is the plane scene Hmm. Um, because I mean Blake he's trying to be like a good human being and save the pilot um, the one who who crashed like right in front of them right but he's a German pilot and the Germans are their enemy Um, but he asked Schofield to go get water for um the pilot but then the pilot stabs blake and he ends up dying from his wounds so he's trying to be a good person and save this person's life but because this because these two people whose countries are at war with each other like being a nice human being to us another soldier didn't really work out well for him right whereas if he had just been a German person, like a civilian, mm-hmm. a civilian pilot, he probably wouldn't have gotten stabbed if they weren't at war. Yeah. Um, but because it's wartime, like I thought also just that the Germans, the German soldiers that they showed throughout the movie, that every time um, either both of them, Blake and Schofield or just Schofield, like every time that they were, um, encountering a German soldier that the German soldiers did not hesitate to just like go after them and try to kill them. Um, and I thought that, uh, both Blake and Schofield gave the enemy the benefit of the doubt and Blake was killed for it. And Schofield was almost killed for it. There was a scene later on when Schofield's on his own in that incredible labyrinth of hell and uh, he comes upon, like, in the background, like, this drunk German soldier who's, like, vomiting his guts out. And and then as he comes in, he realizes that there's another one, a younger one, st- standing there. And they kind of have a quick face-off, like, just looking at each other. Then Schofield grabs his mouth and tells him, shh, please, just shh. And he, like, nods and goes, yeah. But then the second he lets his hand go, he calls for his buddy and he then he has to grab him, jump him, choke him and kill him. Yeah. And he's just they're both like, like, I want to give the benefit of the doubt. It actually happened a third time. There was a soldier coming from the distance in this fire and he was silhouetted. 
Yeah, he and, thought it was maybe just some random person, like the French lady. Right. Or maybe he, he wasn't sure, but like in in time of war, he should have been like taken a prone position and pointed his rifle. And yeah, he should have been <laughs> on guard like, oh, this person might kill me. So I maybe I should hide or something. Right. Like get out of the way. Right. But he just like, it's like, oh, hopefully it's person on my side even though he hadn't seen anyone right in a while like that was british so yeah and um, uh even the other german soldier who could probably could barely see him uh same as the way Schofield could barely see the german soldier he's like i don't care i'm gonna shoot you mm-hmm. so it comes back to that relentless factor we were talking about yeah also i just feel like the whole thing with the underground bunker too was kind of like you know, in any other circumstance, like whoever was there would have just like abandoned it mm-hmm. and like that was it. But because it's wartime, they freaking booby trapped it because they wanted to try and kill as many British soldiers as possible. Bastard rat. Yeah. There, there was a rat, rat that that tripped the trip wire. Yeah. Stupid rat. Yeah. Um, who knows what was in those bags? Those yeah, there were like these bags hanging next to all the uh, the German underground bunkers uh, beds uh, had something in it that the rats wanted. It wasn't like chunky or large enough to be like a head or something. Something but screwed up. Could have been body parts. Maybe like ears or something. Something. <laughs> I was wondering what was going on there. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, you said you had like two themes. What was yeah. the other one? The other one was the fragility of life, which. Mm. I mean, the whole movie is, I mean, I could, you could say that about the entire movie, not just scenes really, but like, okay. um, I think uh, the, the two scenes for that one that I think um, really exemplify that would be like uh, when he encounters the French lady in that weird underground area with mm-hmm. the baby, because it's like, oh my God, there's a baby, first of all. Mm-hmm. And like. It's surviving, and hopefully it survived, but we don't really know that. Yeah. Um, but just, like, and also the fact that, um, Schof- is it Schofield or Schofield? I don't even know. Schofield. I think it's Schofield. Schofield, whatever. Okay, Schofield. He just happens to take milk from that cow uh, that he encountered, and he had milk for the baby because the, the baby probably would have died otherwise because mm-hmm. there's not much else you can give a baby that little unless you had formula or something but she wasn't the mom so she didn't have any milk yeah and yeah i mean he basically saved the baby's life um but also just like i don't know like the river scene also when he like falls down the waterfall Mm -hmm. he's going down the river and like you know he could have drowned but he didn't. And he almost like, let himself go too. Yeah. Um, he was like hanging on to this little log and then he was just like, I'm just giving up. Yeah. But then he saw the cherry blossoms mm-hmm. falling into the river, which was really beautiful. And it looked kind of like snow. Um, but I think it also just reminded him of the story that Blake told him earlier about like picking cherries off the trees. Yeah, um, so off his mother's cherry trees. That's right. She had yeah. her own uh, orchard. Yeah. Uh, they were passing by an old orchard of cherry trees uh, that all of them were cut down. Mm-hmm. And I thought there were two interesting things about that. One was Blake said, you know, don't worry, the roots will take hold and there will be 
twice as many trees as there were, um, which I thought was interesting. And I thought that was saying something about like, you know, no matter how much it's destroyed, there there will still be rebirth. Um, and then, you know, the the uh, the little leaves from the cherry tree from the other side of the river are almost like Blake in the other on the other side reminding him what he has to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also it's just like it ties into like the fragility of life too with the way that Blake died and the way that other soldiers died in the movie because mm-hmm. like people could just be gone in like an instant. Like he just like Schofield turned his back for one second to go get water and then his friend got stabbed. Like just he was alive just a second ago and then like a few like a minute or so later he was dead. Yeah. And like But he had to hold his his friend while he died. Yeah. And like also with the river, just like when he comes across that log and then there's all those bloated dead bodies there. Mm-hmm. Just like another reminder that those were people once, but he has to like crawl over them and t- to get out and save his own life, which yeah. I thought was like a really interesting like dichotomy. A, yeah, almost had a double meaning of like, you know, if you want to get through war, you got to get through the reality of it, which is dead people. Yeah. But you also, you know, if you want to live, then you have to face that reality, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, even the last scene with the brother, like, Played by, uh... Oh, um... Oh, freaking guy Andrew from Game Scott? of Thrones. No, no, that wasn't Andrew Scott. Andrew Scott was the, the guy from the the bunker, or the trenches. Mark Strong? No, no not no. Mark Strong. I'm I calling, can't remember his name. I can't remember his name, but yeah, he... Who did he play in Game he of Thrones again? He played, um, Rob Stark. That's right. Yeah, so he was Blake's brother, and, like, they were trying to... Well, he was supposed to... Scofield was supposed to, you know hopefully deliver um, Blake to his brother and uh, help stop the attack from happening. Right. But unfortunately he didn't make it. So instead of like the two brothers being reunited, you had to tell him that his brother was dead. And it was really sad because um, the Blake who died was the younger brother and you could see how it like really crushed um, the other guy, the other brother, just to see like his face of like yeah when he like realized his brother with his younger brother was dead. It was just like oh god. No cutaways either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Richard Madden. Is Richard his Madden. Name. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah, I love that moment, um, and it was almost like a bit of a uh, bit of an interesting payoff to the one shot. Uh, method that they decided to make this movie because you know they can't cut back to the reaction of Schofield and then cut back to Rob or uh, Richard when they, you know, got a shot of him tearing up. He had to do it right there and then and get it right. Um, we'll go back to the one shot because I think that that falls into a theme of the movie as well. I think it was more than just, let's see if we can do a movie in one shot. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> um, which I'm sure a lot of filmmakers think that way anyways. But Yeah. Uh, also, I think going back to the two themes that I said, um, just like when he, when Schofield finally gets to the second battalion or whatever it's called, I forget, Mm -hmm. um, company, whatever. But anyway, once he gets to them and he's like running through the trenches 
just the fact that like he just missed the first wave and the second wave was starting mm-hmm. like it was just like that tension of like all these people could be dead like at any moment mm-hmm. and like he's just racing against the clock almost to like save their lives um and if he'd gotten there sooner he might have saved the first wave of guys right but he did manage to save most of their lives because he got there like kind of during the second wave i guess that's right yeah 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 that was it was pretty amazing he didn't he still saved the majority of the company but he didn't save them all yeah which i thought was you know another little like message that the movie was trying to say is that um the hero isn't going to save everybody mm-hmm. um yeah so what about you so one of the things that I thought about was there's a little bit of a similarity to uh, a major theme in Lord of the Rings. Um, and it's uh, when Galadriel tells Frodo, um, even the smallest person can change the course of the future. <laughs> um, and when we were initially discussing this, you, um, you kind of brought up a, a great point of like anybody can make a difference in a war, even yeah. even one person. Um and, uh, you know, you've got these, you've got two characters that could, you know, be filled in for Frodo and Sam, which is interesting also because Tolkien uh, participated in the First World War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the camaraderie and brotherhood of the hobbits, especially when they're in war, was based around his experiences in the First World War. Yeah. Did, did those books come out around that time? They came or out later? in the 50s. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so a good 40 years after the First World War. Um I could be wrong. Uh, I'll double check on that. But <laughs> um, I just thought that, you know, that it was kind of painting a picture that this war, uh, a, a major difference can be made not by a whole battalion, but uh, by one or two people. Mm-hmm. Um, because that battalion didn't save the day. They were saved by one guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you could say it was more than just one guy, like the, 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 the spy planes checked the aerials and they got the Intel, but they needed to get that Intel to the other general. They couldn't do it by a wire. So they had to do it by person. Hence the journey they take from the British line to the German line and the other British line. Um, but I just thought it was just really fascinating that you follow this, the journey of this person from beginning to end in one shot, really two. Uh, there was a cut in the movie. I mean, there are several invisible cuts, but there was one real cut in the movie. Uh, and that's because they, they had like eight hours to, to get what they needed done, but we're in a two hour movie. So they had to go from day to night as quickly as they could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was disappointed. I was just like, oh, they could have done a thing where they changed the lighting from day to night. <laughs> yeah, they could have done it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, that's what really stuck out to me is just how uh, important every single soldier is. I think also going off of what you said about it being like, you know, like Frodo and Sam, mm-hmm. um, like there's such a tenacity and will to live for those two characters. That's true. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Blake dies kind of early in the journey, but, um, if Schofield didn't have that like will to live and like determination of like 
no, I have to do this. Like I have to live so that I can save all these people and like basically like save his country too, in a way. Um, yeah. The tenacity part of it, like he just didn't give up even mm-hmm. if he was like nearly drowning or like being chased by German soldiers. Um, well, I thought the tenacity played into Schofield's arc because yeah. when the movie first started, uh, Blake was the one who was very gung ho, mm-hmm. mainly because he wanted to save his brother. Yeah. Uh, and Schofield was like, "Wait, I don't want to do this. Let's hang back. I'm not sure, and let's think about what we're doing before we do it." And Blake, like the moment he gets out of that bunker, when Colin Firth's character told him, "Okay, time to go," he he bolts. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Blake's when Blake dies, it's like he takes on the mantle of his friend's idealism. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like it's also because of like how he was telling him about his family and like how important his family was to him and like, please write to my mother. And yeah. Like, he just realized like how big of a deal this was now. Yeah. It wasn't just even about delivering this message and saving these people, but it's about like his friend's last wishes too. Mm-hmm. And like making sure that it gets delivered to his family. Well, I think there was even more to it than that. Cause he, we didn't know it until the end of the movie, but he related to Blake, Blake's appeal to his family. Um, you mentioned, and I didn't catch this when we watched it, but you mentioned the French girl asked if he had family. And he, he had children. He had children. Like, yeah. And he didn't answer the question. And you're yeah. like, oh, he has children. Yeah. Like <laughs> if he didn't have children, he would have been like, no, because he didn't, he wouldn't really care. Right. But he did, so he was probably thinking about that, and right. he just didn't want to talk about it because it's probably too painful to think about. Right? Yeah, it's like foc- focusing on the here and now and the mission, and it would, if he thought about his family, it would have been too distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the end of the movie, um, we see that he takes out a little envelope, and it's a picture of his kids, his, his wife, wife and kids. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was just a great reveal um, mm-hmm. that. that added a little extra to his character without him having to say anything, Mm -hmm. Um, which I thought was just fantastic. (laughs) So what about like elements within all these scenes that sort of like, you know, bring those points home even more, like whether it's costumes or Mm -hmm. like camera angles or sound design, whatever. Well, one thing that caught my eye when I thought about it was the opening shot is uh, Schofield and Blake sleeping and Blake and Schofield sleeping against a tree. Um, And at the very end of the movie, he walks toward a single tree, sits back against it and falls asleep. Mm -hmm. And it was like it was a very it was a great um, uh, visual cue towards uh-huh bookends yeah bookends yeah, yeah that's great yeah um it almost <laughs> you could almost loop the movie <laughs> you know uh if you i mean you couldn't but like it was meant to be like uh, a cycle of mm-hmm. life you know this person wakes up and then they go to sleep and then the next day they have to wake up and go through the same type of situation um in war and then he falls asleep and it's just over and over again so this is like single glimpse into probably the toughest day he ever had in the war. But, uh, um, I just love that, 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 that they decided to do it in that way. What about you? 
Um, well, I feel like the part where he's like going through that maze of ruins, mm-hmm. like, was almost like um, Dante's Inferno or something. Yeah. It was just like he's going through like the levels of hell to like, mm-hmm. you know, he has to like go through all of them before he can come out on the other side. Right. I don't really remember what all the levels of hell are, but I don't know. Just like I don't think he had to go through like I mean, he, had to, he had to understand gluttony and greed and well, those are maybe the murder. Seven deadly sins. Oh yeah, the sins. Yeah. I don't remember if the levels of hell correspond to those, but like I don't know. It just it looks so hellish and like the way that they did the lighting, mm-hmm. like coming through some of those ruins. It, I think they said they had to use like this giant light. In they order to do that. actually used flares. Oh, it wasn't just flares, though. Well, there was... I, I don't know what elder lighting they used. I know that, like, when you look uh, at that vista of this church that's on fire, the fire was CG, but it was a, it was a big wall of lights. And that's like Roger Deakins is known for that, creating a skyscraper of lights. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just a whole ceiling of them. Sometimes it's a wall. But that was one moment of, like, enormous amount of lights. But the when there were flares and you saw like the changing shadows they actually had a long burning flare hooked to a crane hooked to a wire oh maybe that's what it was yeah 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 uh, which was amazing because i was they're just like well we want to use flares to get the light look to get it the look right but we also want to control how this flare behaves mm-hmm. which was like ugh, it's just the craft in this movie was just amazing <laughs> to pull off stuff like that also, I remember you mentioned before, like after we saw this movie, like we were talking about Benedict Cumberbatch's character and mm. how he had like a scar over his eye. Yeah. And like, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think it was about? I don't know. I mean, I think it was just to show character like this guy's seen some shit like he is the general. So he's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's the one in charge and. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I there was like a moment when Schofield is like begging him to listen um, and he's not listening. And then, he, you know, he mentions that the Germans are prepared for this. They want us to get on the line. Um, and uh, I feel like when they were staring each other down after he finally said, yeah, OK, call him off. That they kind of looked at each other and they both recognized each other, even though one was a far superior to the other. Because I think Lance Corporal is only one step above private. Um, uh, that they're both like pretty war torn, mm-hmm. and they and there was a mutual acknowledgement of that. And I think that it played into Cumberbatch's character's decision of like this guy has been through plenty of hell himself, um, and you know. He's so he's so he probably took that into account when he, when he was like he's well he's probably not lying he's probably not BSing me mm. you know so yeah um also going back to the the french lady mm. i really liked actually really just like that whole middle part of the movie where he's going through the, the hellscape and encountering shit at every turn but he like manages to get away from um, one of the soldiers by just like it was like such a Star Wars move. It's like I'm gonna kick in this thing and then hide in this. Oh thing. yeah. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but luckily it wasn't a trash compactor. <laughs> it was a French lady and a baby. Um, but just like 
it was interesting because like the upper part was hell, mm-hmm. but the lower part was like calm and serene. It was like almost reverse, so, like heaven and hell. The he- heaven was like underground and hell was above ground. It's mm-hmm. like, That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think like the French lady and her and the baby were like just like a a reminder for him of his own family, like mm. and that. Cause like she was like, please stay with me, and like I think part of him probably wanted to really stay there because he didn't want to have to keep, like, risking his life, and like he was just there's so many perils at every turn, and he could have just stayed there, but he was like, well, I I have like an actual family that I need to get back to, and I also have to like do this other thing, so I have to keep going. I think he had a few moments of temptation. Mm-hmm. Throughout the movie, I think when he was with a bunch of other soldiers shortly after Blake died, he felt like he could just keep riding with them, yeah, um, and not not be and not be worse for the wear, maybe a little safer. Um, and then he uh, sees the French woman; might have felt tempted to be with her. I will never forget the shot where she slowly puts her hand on his head. Mm-hmm. It looked like some sort of I don't know renaissance painting or something hmm. it was it just was like this is a beautiful movie this is art the lighting in that scene was really nice yeah um and also someone brought a friend of mine brought up a good point um uh with such an enclosed space and minimal lighting mostly candlelight and then a few other tricks um because the camera was doing a 360 degree turn in that room uh someone said where's the camera shadow mm-hmm and we're like, yeah, where was the camera shadow? How did they do that? And uh, Roger Deakins actually has a cool little website where he answers people's questions. Oh, wow. And uh, he basically said, I'll, I'll let you guys figure that one out. But there was no CG in it. We figured it out. Hmm. So that was, again, just the, the craft of, of, you know, no one would ever notice that. But then you're, but you're thinking to yourself, if you are a camera person, like, where's the shadow? Yeah. Also, I think that, like, especially in the beginning, uh, how they show or like the way that they follow the two guys, the two um, corporal, uh, Lance corporals, Mm -hmm. the way that they follow them with the camera, the camera almost becomes a soldier itself because like first they're following them from the front and then it kind of rotates and goes behind and it's like still one one shot mm-hmm. and it's like then they're following and like sometimes like back of the head shots bother me but mm-hmm. they did it really well because like um Blake looks back at the camera so he's still like engaging the camera as like a character almost right so I really like that part no I totally agree there were a lot of amazing ways to use the camera um sometimes it was it was almost a bird's eye view um other times it went from like standing right behind the soldiers as if they were uh the camera were a soldier yeah um but then i and i remember what you're talking about they were going up the hill uh and then going back down another hill which was actually a huge crater and then the schofield and blake walk around to the other side of this like crater that is full of water but the camera does not follow them anymore. It's going over the horizon of the um, the water itself. Yeah, and you see like 
pieces of bodies yeah. just like peeking out from the water. Dead people, dead horses. Yeah. Um, there's actually another shot that struck my struck me is uh, they they passed by this one horse who looked like it had been dead a few days and it was kind of bloated. Mm-hmm. And then they passed by another horse, which is like almost bones. Yeah. And it was like a, kind of an interesting take on how long this war has been going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I th- forgot about all of that part when they like go through no man's land. But like a lot of those shots really show you the fragility of life too because like what you're saying with the horses how there's like that difference in time of decomposition but also just like as they walk across you could see like how there's like bodies everywhere but the bodies are like already becoming part of the earth like Mm -hmm. the way that they've just been buried by like probably like the movement of um, the soldiers like back and forth both sides but also like the rain because like the the ground looks kind of wet yeah and muddy um, and then there was that big pool of water and like yeah so they were like some parts you would just see like a face like sticking out or like a yeah arm that or was something. creepy and it's just like oh god like it really is showing you just like you know how easily death happens in war, but also how like normal it is. Right. Because it's just like now they're part of the earth and they're just walking over all these dead people basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about the uh, elephant in the room with this, with this shot. I mean, movie, I mean shot. (laughs) Um, The fact that it was almost entirely one shot. Really considered two sh- one shot. Considered two shots. Because yeah. it did cut to black. Um uh it cut to black when he when Schofield got shot and it turns out it was just a graze across his head, but it knocked him out and then he woke up uh, you know, several hours later to when it was almost morning. Um, but it was intended to be pretty much one long shot. Yeah. I think you could tell though with um certain transitions that they re- they use transitions a lot for cuts. Yeah. Like when they go into the where was it? The German bunker mm-hmm. and it goes dark yep. for like a second. You can tell like they cut right there. They cut when he blacked out. Um I think when they entered the tent of either Colin Firth's character or maybe also Benedict Cumberbatch's character. Yeah. Um both all, yeah, all yeah. those transitions. And maybe also even when he went to where the French lady was, I don't really remember. He had to have. Yeah. Yeah. Because it went into that duct and that's physically impossible. So I think that there must have been a transition there. Well, yeah. physically impossible for a camera. Right. And also they had that big dramatic um, jump. Uh, yeah. Jumped into the water. That was the only saw... time where I was like, eh, it looks like CG. Yeah, you could see the CG, but it still looked pretty good. Yeah. Like, they, we saw this video, right, like, of the jump where he basically jumps onto, like, a pad. Yeah. And then they they added in later of him jumping into the water, and then they just, like, splice the two scenes together. Mm-hmm. Or shots together, yeah. But thematically, why do you, why do you think they chose for this movie to be a, a, a one shot. Cause they wanted to, they wanted to put you 
right in the movie, like right in this story and make you feel the urgency of this mission that these guys were on. Like they really like the clock was ticking the entire time for mm-hmm. them to get there before these poor soldiers were just like completely ambushed. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, yeah, it just gave the movie just more life. I feel like it did give it more life for sure. Yeah. Uh, it felt like I was watching a really dynamic play mm-hmm. and I was, you know, in, engaged with these characters as I would an actor on a stage. Which makes sense because Sam Mendes was a theater director before. He was. American Beauty was his, uh, by the way, American Beauty was his first movie in that one best picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we like looked that up the other day. We're like, damn, like, and it was like on his IMDb, like, it's one of the few directors that his first film was also his first Oscar for best director and best picture, I think. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Yeah. Um, I mean, but he he came from a very uh, storied history of theater. Mm -hmm. So he just threw himself into, into film and it you know, really worked out. Um, and he's also done other films that are just, they're very, they're really good character studies. And he, he, he seems to really love soldiers. So there was the ex Marine in American beauty. He did Jarhead, which is all about soldiers in the first Gulf war. Um, mm-hmm. and what I really liked about that movie is that they, the soldiers almost never faced any kind of combat and were often like, uh, the chances of seeing combat were stolen away from them. Yeah, and, they were, like, itching for it. Mm-hmm. And they drove them nuts. Uh, and I thought that was interesting, that these soldiers are, are going nuts not because of all the war they're in, but because of all the war they're not in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then he did a James Bond movie um, and uh, a bunch of others. But, um, yeah, he he – and then with 1917, he just – he seems to really love to get into the psyche of a soldier. Yeah, it's interesting. But I think that um, the theme of using one long shot is it's a portrait of war in its entirety, what every aspect of it is like. So seeing heavy duty combat, um, watching a friend die in your arms, the consequences of being of being friends to the enemy. Um, you see, actually, a lot of these themes were explored as well in Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking that, too. You know, uh, but everything is like condensed into a single, very, very long moment. Um, and what also stuck out to me is that there was, in every movie you need, um, when you're dealing with heavy duty, uh, intense action or emotion, you need moments to uh, have a break, to relax a little. Um, and there was one which stuck out to me which I saw some people complaining about, like they wish they just skipped it. And I'm like, no, you can't skip it. Is when they're walking uh, like across these long, boring plains after getting past no man's land um, and basically just talking, you know. And you can tell that it was meant to be kind of drawn out, long, quiet, and a little boring. Um, And I think that was very much on purpose. Uh, You're meant to take in the fact that these soldiers for much of their time don't see any action and are just sitting there doing nothing. It's a lot of waiting around. Yeah. It actually made me laugh because it made me think of being a background actor. Really? (laughs) Because a lot of it's the same thing. It's like a lot of time you're just like getting paid to wait Mm -hmm. and like they were literally background or there were literally background actors 
on this shoot mm-hmm. and they were <laughs> like doubly like wait getting paid to wait in a way it's yeah. like, kind of funny right <laughs> so what was your favorite scene then favorite scene probably it's a tough call blake's death was was amazing um because acting on both their parts was fantastic and it and it really hit you the the uh consequence emotional consequence of from the moment he gets stabbed to the moment he dies which was maybe a minute maybe Mm -hmm. two and you saw the blood drain out of his face. Uh, and that was really tough. Yeah. Um, even when he asked if I'm going to die and Schofield says, yes, he's not, he decides not sugarcoated. He could have because he sugarcoated his, his death to his brother, said it was quick. When it was not quick, it was slow. Um, and uh, just him taking in the, f- taking in that, that pain uh, after Blake died, um, was just really powerful to me. But what ties it for me was, uh, the French girl and the baby. Yeah. I think that's my favorite one. Um, that one. And when he he finally gets out of the river and then hears the singing, I feel like both of those scenes really. Oh yeah. The singing. They show. was amazing. Yeah. Like. They show like that there is humanity still <laughs> among all of that death and violence that like, you know, there is that even though the life is fragile, there's still the resiliency of human spirit through, you know, hell, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was even a tiny moment of humanity for the Germans when they're going through that bunker and they're looking on the beds. And one of the beds had a portrait of a young lady. Yeah, it was like a woman or like a woman and child too. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's just it's just a reminder that those are all people too. Yeah. Despite how relentless the Germans <laughs> were in the, in this movie. Um but uh yeah, I I don't know. Something was artful about the the scene with the French girl. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after when he's running through that labyrinth of hell. I was like, I'm watching an historic movie. This movie's going to be remembered for a long time. Yeah. You yeah. definitely got that feeling watching it. So I think that's pretty much covers it as far as, uh, you know, figuring out the themes of this movie. Yeah. It's pretty, <laughs> we went pretty deep in there. Yeah. So thanks for hanging with us on this journey into the themes and of, scenes. Uh, uh-huh, of 1917. <laughs> um, where can uh, where can everybody find you, Liana, on the interwebs? Um, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Liana underscore Manassian. I'm not going to spell it for you because you'll see it on the page. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what are your things? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J-Z-A-G-R-I, J-Zagri. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Justin Z Director. Um, and... Uh, Check out uh, the YouTube channel, Broad Strokes Productions. This podcast will be up there as well. Um, but for those who don't know, uh, we're both filmmakers and we created some pretty cool stuff up there, uh, including some cool Harry Potter content, which you should definitely check out. 
Uh, and if you are listening to this on YouTube, uh, please leave in the comments what you thought of 1917 and what you personally got out of it. What themes you thought of uh, when you watched the movie. And make sure you subscribe yes. and turn on notifications if you're on YouTube. But yeah. if not, whatever platform you're listening on, please subscribe to us. Um, we're hoping to do a new epi episode once every two weeks. Um, and we'll be talking mostly about movies and TV, but we're hoping to just kind of do any type of media that inspires us in general. Yeah. So it could be like a video game maybe or a book Shoot, or, know, a tabletop something. game. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. I played some story-based tabletop. That was really fun. Maybe an album. Good hey, music. that's a good idea. Yeah. There's plenty of really good themes in uh, in music. Yeah. Not just concept albums, but just in Yeah, general. yeah, for yeah. sure. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging with us. And Thank uh, you. we'll see you again. Peace.